Happy Sabbath. Uh, I want you guys to think of uh, this, answer this question in your mind this morning. Are you happy? Are you happy? Um, Oh, great. (laughs) Amen. Um, I was at a friend's house recently, and I saw a book on their bookshelf, and it was titled 10% Happier. And then the subtext was, how I tamed the voice in my head, reduced stress without losing my edge, and found self-help that actually works. And actually, if you go on Amazon and you search for books on happiness, just within the self-help section, um, there's over 6,000 results. And if you Google how to be happy, you will hit over 7 billion results. In general, our culture is pretty obsessed with being happy. And um, a friend of mine, he's a high school teacher, and he was sharing something that he had learned in one of his conferences recently. And he was saying that a group of kids were polled, and they were asked, um, of these three things, what have your parents emphasized to you? What have your parents taught you um, to pursue the most? And the three things were um, high achievement, or like high, like really strong performance, or happiness, or caring for others. And for the parents in this room, um, you know, what do you think your kids would say if someone asked them, hey, what, has your, what have your parents emphasized with you the most? Is it high achievement and performance? Is it happiness or is it caring for others? And then the parents of those same kids were asked, what do you think is the, out of these three values, what have you emphasized, what have you taught your kids the most? High achievement, performance, um, happiness, or caring for others. And what the kids said was, most of them, they felt like, oh, our parents have taught us to achieve a lot. Like, performance is very important. And then, secondly, they're like, oh, yeah, and then probably the next most important thing is um, being happy. And then, last was caring for others. And then they asked the parents of that same group, oh, what do you think you've, your kids would say? And they said, well, the parents were pretty split. They said, half of the group said, the number one thing we've emphasized is happiness. And the other half of the group said, oh, the number one thing we've emphasized is high achievement. And then the last um, priority for everyone was pretty much caring for others. Just, we'll think about that. And then um, let's pray and get into the heart of the message. Um, Holy Spirit, as we receive from you right now, um, please help us to get out of the way. And um, as we open the word, help us to open our hearts and our minds and our ears to you. And um, God, may this time be yours to do whatever you want to do. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're talking about happiness. um, And a friend asked me, He's like, hey, what are you preaching about this weekend? And I said, oh, how to be happy. And then he was like, are you happy? And then I was like, do I have to write a new sermon? Um, But you know what? Even though I cannot say that I'm happy all the time, I do really believe that. As I was preparing for this message, um, as I was studying this, it gives me hope because it provides a path to happiness. 
And it made me think that for some of us, I'm not saying everyone in this room, but for some of us, we really don't know how to be happy. And the way you can tell is if you have continued to try to be happy and you're not happy, then maybe you don't know how to be happy. But what's interesting is every time you open a magazine, um, whenever you watch TV, every time you go on the internet, there are people you've never met before and places you've never been, and they are creating ads promising happiness. And if we're honest, every single one of us has fallen for this before, at least like once, twice, like 100 times, right? If only I had, if only I drove, if only I wore, if only then maybe I would feel better. Maybe I'd feel happy. And so we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of money or we've, some of us have wasted a lot of money and wasted a lot of time and maybe you're still not happy. So we're just going to get right into it. And this is a principle you probably already know, but sometimes maybe you need to be reminded of it. Um, it's what I was personally reminded of while I was studying for the sermon this week. And it's simply this. Am I not in control? Oh, am I in control? Okay, we'll see. All right. Um, happiness is more about who than what. Happiness is more about who than what. And this is one of the earliest lessons we learn in life, right? We learn it in our backyards when we're playing with a bunch of who's, and it didn't really matter what you had. And then you went to middle school and you went to high school, and then what you had, I mean, it was kind of important, but it wasn't as important as long as you had a group of who's and you felt included and accepted by that group. And it's why so many of us have spent hours and hours of our life loitering in parking lots with church friends on Saturday evenings. Because it's not because parking lots are so awesome and amazing, it's because of who we're with. And if you think about it, if happiness was associated with what, then we could all go out there and get that what and just be happy all the time. And it wouldn't matter how you treat me or how I treat you because I could just go home and get my happy what and everyone would just be happy. But the problem with happy what is that happy what always leads to happy what else. It's like caffeine happiness. It wears off over time. You were as excited about your old phone when you got your old phone as when you got your new phone, but your new phone isn't even that new anymore. So then when you got a newer phone, you were just as excited as when you got that one, but it was the same as when you got your old phone. You follow? Yes? Same with your car. Same with your job. Same with other things. Because here's the thing. If your what getting older decreases your happiness then you weren't happy to begin with. You were just being marketed to. And that's why there's kind of like mission trip syndrome where people go, um, I see this especially with a lot of middle school students and high school students where they go out to different places in the world that they haven't been before and they come back wondering, how can those people be so happy? They don't have anything. Um, I've gone to Tecate, uh, Mexico, like for many, many years, um, I think it's like 16 years now, for Mexico Kayam. 
And every year that we go, every new batch of students there are, I hear very similar questions, which is when we go door to door passing out beans, rice, um, various things, my high school kids will ask me, they're like, PJ, how can they be so happy? Their house is made out of cardboard. Like, PJ, how can they be so happy? They don't have, their, their floor is dirt, right? But happiness is more about a who than a what. And the last piece of evidence for this is that at the end of your life, you will have relational, not possessional regrets. In the end, nobody makes things right with a what. At the end of their lives, no one's like, honey, bring me my favorite purse and shoes to the hospital. I just need some time alone with them, right? People don't need like, they're not like, okay, like, yeah, I know that I have only a few hours left to live. Everyone please leave so I can be on my smartphone for a few hours alone, right? Um, They don't need time alone with their car at the end of their life or their most valuable jewelry. In the end, you're not going to make peace with some what's, you're going to make peace with some who's because happiness is very relational in nature. Now, there is one thing that's not really a thing that every happy person has. And when I say thing, it's not something that you can hold in your hand. Um, It's not tangible, but happy people definitely have this. I want you to think for a moment um, about some of the happy people that you know. Like when you think about them, you're like, was a happy person. And here's what they have. And maybe you've never thought of it in these terms before, but what they have is peace. On the inside, they're okay. Happy people have peace. And specifically, happy people are at peace with themselves. And what I mean by this is when you're with them, They may be rich, they may be poor, um, they may be extroverted, they may be introverted, they may be married or single, they may have like 10 kids, they may have no kids, but when you're around these people, they are comfortable in their own skin. In fact, there are times when you look at their circumstances and you want to kind of be like, hey man, are you okay? (laughs) Like, are you in denial? Because you don't seem worried. I'm more worried about your circumstances than you are but they have peace. Happy people are at peace with themselves. They're not warring within themselves. They're not trying to pretend to be something that they're not. They're at peace with themselves. And something else you may discover is that happy people are at peace with others. They're not holding on to bitterness and resentment and anger, even if they've been mistreated. Um, And you hear their story and you're like, dude, how could you not be bitter? How could you not still be so angry? And they're like, well, you know, I've just kind of moved on. I've forgiven them. Happy people are not burning up on the inside. They're not churning, trying to get back at someone, trying to seek revenge. Happy people who have great lives, happy people who have difficult, terrible lives, they are people who are at peace with themselves and others where sometimes when you hear their stories of how they've been treated, you're tempted to take up their offense at the people who have mistreated them. But they're like, it's fine, I'm okay. And you're like, it's not okay. And they're like, no, it's okay. And you're thinking, how can they be like that? What is that? That's peace. 
And the other thing you'll discover with a lot of happy people is that oftentimes when you meet someone who is happy, they are also at peace with God. Even if their view of God is not the same view that you share, they believe there's more to this life. They believe that there's some sort of divine sense of purpose. And they believe that in the end, somehow there will be justice and things are going to work out. And they have confidence in God that they're going to be able to walk through life and they're going to be able to live with peace that otherwise maybe people are not doing. Now, if all of this is true, that this is really worth paying attention to, so don't miss this, then we can kind of come to the conclusion that anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness, even if in that moment you may not think so. So um, one of my college kids texted me um, a couple weeks ago, and um, she gave me permission to share this. Okay, so she texted me, and the text I received was, I did something bad. And so I texted back, what? And she said, I bought a bunch of swimsuits from Urban Outfitters online, and they were all hideous except one um, that I'm hesitant about returning. So um, she bought a bunch. Um, She's hesitant about returning one because the rest are hideous. So she says, I had seven items in total, and I took six of them to the store to return. And the lady gave me back more money than I had paid, and I knew it's because she was missing the one I didn't return, and I didn't say anything. And then the question she was asking me was, should I go say something now? And then she added this information. The line is really long now. The line is really long now. And so I responded to her and I said, I feel like you texted me because you don't feel right about this. And then she said, but PJ, Urban Outfitters has so much money and I don't. (laughs) So I asked her, what kind of person do you want to be? And she said, fine, (laughs) with like five E's at the end. And then I was waiting for her to kind of update me and then um, like 10 minutes passes and she goes, PJ, the line is so long. There's eight people and the dog in front of me. And I I just waited. And then she texted me back later. She said, PJ, she told me to keep the money because it was her fault. And then she was so happy. She was like, I just earned $50 for being honest. The thing is, anything that undermines your peace, any decision that you would make that undermines your peace, ultimately undermines your happiness. Because every single one of us If you take a moment to think about this, you can think about a situation in your life, a relationship in your life, a season in your life where we made a decision that undermined our relationship with God, our relationship with others, or even our relationship with ourselves. And when we think about that time, it's a regret that we have. And if we could go back to that weekend or that season of our life, We wish we could redo it because we're carrying it around and it's chipping away at our current happiness. You are on the verge of undermining your potential happiness because happy people are at peace with themselves, others, and oftentimes with God. Now, 
why are we talking about this in church? Because one thing that followers of Jesus learn is peace with God paves the way to peace with others and peace with ourselves. And most of the New Testament actually is about how to be at peace with other people. In fact, when Jesus was asked one of the most profound questions he was ever asked by a lawyer, Jesus talks about what we're studying this morning. And I know that you guys have heard these verses so, so many times before, but I'm going to ask that you look at these verses through the lens of what we're talking about today. So Jesus was approached by a lawyer. Um, and the lawyer asked Jesus, hey, what's your favorite law? Because that's what a lawyer would ask because lawyers work with laws. So one day this lawyer walks up to Jesus and is like, Jesus, you know, um, you know, us, us Jewish people, we have a lot of laws. There's over 600 laws. Which one do you think is God's favorite law? Which one do you think is the greatest? What is the most important commandment? And this guy asking, he obviously has an answer in mind. Um, there is a commandment that he thinks is greater than others. And traditionally, Jewish people did have an answer for this question. Um, they were kind of split between the commandment on circumcision or the commandment on Sabbath. But this lawyer wanted to see what it is that Jesus would say. And so here's how it goes down. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, he is asked, Teacher, which is the greatest, oh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one is the most important? Now, before I go any further, um, we don't generally think of laws and commandments as having anything to do with our happiness. In fact, we think of laws and commandments as getting in the way of our happiness. So I want you to listen to Jesus' answer through the filter of what we've heard so far today. Because this is like, like super profound. Because when you think about what would be the greatest law or command, you, you would think that it would be something like, it would start with something like, don't ever, hmm, or you must make sure you, or maybe that it would have something to do with money or greed or power or generosity or compassion. There's so many things that he could have focused on. Jesus, what do you think is the greatest commandment? And since you speak for God, ultimately, what does God think is the greatest commandment? And listening to this answer through the filter of what we've said about happiness so far, Jesus' answer in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he says, you shall love, he's like, no, 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 the, the lawyer, maybe the lawyer's thinking like, no, 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 Jesus, maybe, maybe you misunderstood. Um, give me like a thou shalt not, or a thou shalt. Like, give me a real command. Jesus is like, love like, no, 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 Jesus, like, commands, like, do's and don'ts. I know. Love? No, Jesus, love isn't like a command word. Love is like a relationship word. Yes, exactly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It doesn't actually sound very commanding. It sounds very, very relational, and we're going to see that what Jesus says following, he said, he's like, you want to know what's most important? I'll tell you. Since God loves you, can you love God back? That's what's the most important. 
And since God is wanting to make peace with you, can you make peace with God? The most important commandment is about having peace with God. But as many of you guys know, Jesus doesn't stop there. Listen to how he brings in the other two components of our happiness equation. Verses 38 and 39. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, okay? Meaning the second second is equal to it. You can't do one without the other. This is a package deal. And the second is like it. And here's our other two components. Love your neighbor as yourself. And like maybe you're kind of hardened to this because you've heard it so many times and you're like, yeah, we know. But this is actually super profound because essentially what Jesus is saying here is the most important thing to me is peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. Love God. Make peace with God. Love your neighbor. Make peace with with the people around you as you love yourself, which means that you will be at peace with yourself. Huh, Jesus, that kind of sounds like you think we should be happy. I do think you should be happy because your heavenly father created you with the capacity for happiness. And it wasn't just this like spin-off thing where it's like, uh, it's not like super important, but like let's create it anyway. It's core to who we are. And Jesus said, it's not a secondary thing. It is at the core of what I think and what your heavenly father thinks is most important. You know, there was a period um, where, when I was younger, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this, but when I was younger where I thought that God sometimes stood in the way of my happiness, right? And since Jesus spoke for God, then maybe Jesus also stands in the way of my happiness. Um, It was to the point where because my theology was like not biblical, I thought that, oh, when God calls us to do things, the correct answer is like, there should always be some suffering mixed in it, right? Because like Jesus suffered a lot. So like when you're doing things for God, you probably have to suffer, So when I would make certain decisions, like um, when I was a theology major at PUC and I had to choose which church I would do my um, student internship at, there were three choices. There was one church that was really close to school. A lot of my friends went to that church. I would have a lot of support. I was like, I won't suffer there, right? It's too easy. It's like, too good. Second option. Um, it was much further away, but there was another pastor there who would mentor me. It would be like very healthy situation, but I was like, okay, maybe, because you know, I would suffer a little bit because I have to drive really far. Third option was a church that was two hours away. There was no pastor there. There was very little support there. I thought, I'll suffer so much there. Um, God must definitely be calling me to that church because they don't have anyone, and you know, like when you're following God's call, that involves suffering, right? I didn't consider God's call involving happiness, God's call involving me thriving. And so if you also have this misconception about God, you know, I have friends who the reason they're no longer in church is because ultimately this is what they think about God, right? And it's because I thought there was a conflict of either. 
either be a good religious person or be happy. Either be a good Christian or be happy. And there was a conflict there. And the thing about people is we will not stay in unhappy circumstances for a very long time unless we have a very, very good reason to do so. Because you are, to some extent, on a happiness quest, and that's okay. But the truth is, your heavenly father has revealed through Jesus what is most important to him, and that ties into what is most important to you, and it's actually not in the way of your happiness, but God actually provides the way to happiness, which means that to resist God, if you really think about it, to resist God is to actually resist happiness. To resist your heavenly father is to resist happiness. And you know how you can tell if this is true or not? Because I would guess that if we all took turns and we came up here and we shared our greatest regrets, I'm not going to make you guys do that, but if we did, the thing that you wish you could go back and undo the thing that sometimes you still think about late at night, I would bet that 99% of us, when you got finished explaining your greatest regret, part of what created your greatest regret was that that thing that you did, it broke your peace with yourself, others, or with God. And by messing with your peace, it made you unhappy. Now, we're going to just talk about one last thing and then we're done. Um, We're going to talk about sin real quick. And however way you may define sin, um, whether it's like, oh, things you're not supposed to do or bad stuff or whatever, we know that biblically what God shows us is that what sin is, is sin is something that separates us. It separates us from others. Um, If you think about your last relational conflict, somebody sinned, right? Somebody did something that you don't think they ought to have done. And maybe it was you. Maybe it was the other person. Sin always separates, and when you bring sin into a relationship, it begins to erode that relationship. And however way you want to define sin, we can see that sin erodes peace between you and the other person. But sin also separates us from God. And this is one of the most misunderstood things in all of the Bible and all of Christianity, so let me try to explain it real quick. The reason, the primary reason not the only reason, but the primary reason that sin separates you from God is because when you sin against another person, you are sinning against a person that God loves and treasures and cherishes. You cannot be okay with God and not okay with someone that God loves. Like, I cannot bully Celeste because she's so much taller than I am, but I cannot bully Celeste and make her cry and then see Pastor Richard and Amy and be like, we're cool, right? I mean, she's just your daughter, but we're good, right? Like, like, I know we, Celeste and I, we have our issues, but like, Pastor, me and you, we're good, right? No parent is going to be okay with you mistreating their kids. You mistreat the kids, you're mistreating the parents, And one of the core teachings of the New Testament, and you've heard this before over and over again, is for God so loved the good people? No, for God so loved the church people? For God so loved your friends? For God so loved 
everyone who's not annoying? No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When you mistreat another person, you're out of sorts with God, not just that other person. And the reasons there are um, all those things that we should and shouldn't do in the New Testament isn't because Jesus was like bored and just wanted to pass time making up rules, but because God loves the person you're in conflict with. So when sin creeps into a relationship with someone else, sin creeps into your relationship with God. And since being happy is about who and not what, and since happy people are at peace with themselves with others, and with God. And since sin undermines peace, and since Jesus valued and prioritized peace with God, ourselves, and others, and since you want to be happy, then you should really consider becoming a follower of Jesus. One who allows him, one who allows him to influence the decisions that we make in our relationships with other people, one who allows God to influence our relationship with him, one who allows him to influence our relationship with ourselves. And if you already consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, continue to make time and continue to make space for him in your life so he can influence the way you do life, the way you interact, the way you speak, the way you express patience. And let's remember that our happiness is not ever going to be based on what, but it's always going to be rooted in who. Let's pray. Gracious Father, um, I feel like I talk a lot about uh, misconceptions we have with you. And I think it's because I myself have struggled with so many misconceptions about you, but also because as I talk to more and more people, um, that's what I see, that so many of us still struggle to see you for who you truly are. And God, what you desire for us to know is you do want us to be happy. You do want us to experience wholeness and um, healing and um, closeness with you, um, with others, with ourselves. So may we make space in our lives for you. May we make space in our relationships for you so that as you influence us, um, we will be drawn into uh, deeper happiness. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for the offertory.